0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show podcast, episode 111.
1: Zeke, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might forget that this is an audio only podcast. I sometimes do gestures
0: but... on the show in which they're just for Jake and they invoke yeah, normally a laugh out of him. I'm so. gonna
1: I'm gonna quickly describe what you did for, to describe episode 111. Which is a which is a great occasion mm-hmm. that we made for this podcast. Yes. You literally grabbed the uh, the holes under your eyes and they're not that bad or the the the, not holes what do you call them the bags the bags thank you the bags under your eyes which aren't nearly as bad as my bags just saying for the audience Mm. that's Um, a major baggage and basically (laughs) basically said one pulled your left eye one pulled your right eye down and then one pulled your left eye down again yeah so it's not as funny me explaining it it was
0: like some morse code That I was doing in my eyes. Um, You
1: could have done literally anything else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What does it mean? To do one, one, one. So, we're flipping back to me, Jake, Mm. on terms of quotes from films. Now, you should be able to hopefully beat my 8 out of 10. Oh, I should be
1: able to. That's high. That's high praise.
0: Well, I mean, this is films from the last 10 years. That is true.
1: We've basically caught up. Which has taken us like almost 40, 50 episodes
0: so, to catch up with. Because um, yeah, this tradition started in the 80s and um, I don't know what we're going to do after this.
1: I uh, think we're just going to have to drop it because we haven't seen many films from the 20s and the 30s. 30s, yeah. Like, it's just not going to be a viable challenge. At least we've
0: both got two shots at it, you know? So... Yeah, it's a good point. It's um, well
1: spaced out.
0: Here we go. So, this is your 2011 film. You have seen okay. this film. Okay. And you were positive on it. You gave it three and a half stars. I'm just going to lead in with this okay. sort of stuff. Well, that tells a me guest that the... I've
1: seen it in the last
0: few years. Okay. But a guest of the show adores this film. Um, okay. Oh, okay. That's, That's really they, nailing are... it down, already. Yeah, these are your hints. Uh, you give me a time and a place, I'll give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that And you're on your own. Do you understand?
1: What in the world?
0: Say that again. You give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five-minute window, and I'm yours. No matter what, anything happens a minute either side of that, and you're on your own. Do you understand?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um...
0: This is an action crime film. It's probably the best or a crime drama. I'm
1: not confident about this. Okay. Is it Drive?
0: Is that your final answer?
1: I'm going to say Drive because I literally can't think of anything
0: else. Jake, right you're now. off to the races here. It was indeed okay, the 2011 good. film, Drive. That yeah. seems
1: like a kind of... Does Ryan Gosling say that? Is that his yeah. line? He, yeah. Okay, okay. Because he doesn't talk much in that film. Yeah. Who's the guest that loves that film? Because we haven't... We would say that's Jack Bett. Oh, okay. See, you saying that made me think it was a film we did in the podcast with a guest.
0: No. I was so giving you, you a bit of, of meta-narrative me there. Okay, okay.
1: Okay, I'm glad that I was terrified about that first one.
0: But you did do it. There so you congratulations, go. you're off to the races, 1-0. and Very good. And 0. Very good. Uh, how you doing, Jake?
1: <laughs> I'm alright, I'm tired, mm-hmm. but... I'm good, you know. It's one of those things where you have plans throughout the week, and yep. then like things keep coming up, and like certain responsibilities and favors for friends. And it's like I'm kind of glad because I, I feel like I did pretty well on both sides. You know what I mean? I feel like I, I did all right. I was there for people, but I was also, you know, taking care of business, as they say, taking care of mm. business. So hopefully, in the next month or two, I can get into more detail in, in a career section of some sort. But I have been watching a little bit. I've been watching a couple of films. So, uh, that's exciting. Do you want me to start? Or Yeah, of course. Yeah, cool. So, I, well, first of all, I actually rewatched The Crossing, which I talked about, the local film from uh, Stephen Mahalovich, who we interviewed on our The Dry episode. And uh, yeah, I rewatched it for a second time. I was invited to another screening. I think it was like their official last screening from Halo Films. Mm-hmm. So, he said, you should come down. You know, you were a part of it. So, I helped with the social media stuff. So, that was cool. And, i'm just even there they played a short film before which i didn't know they were going to do i was like what in the world is this so it's an animated short four minutes long called painting by numbers and essentially it's really hard to describe It's like, there's no narration no nothing like that it's essentially this like one shot of like a museum wall of classic paintings you know the last supper and you know the famous one with the clocks melting and the sort of the the is it a desert some dry land of some sort yeah like these famous images that we understand and it sort of recontextualizes and vandalizes them. So there's sort of these... Uh, for example, The Last Supper, they sort of add all these like McDonald meals onto the mm-hmm. table and stuff, and um, they alter and modernize a lot of it. So um, I can't remember the figure. It's sort of like a Mona Lisa-esque painting, but they sort of dress her up in different outfits to modernize her and stuff. And it, it's all very kind of it's terrifying it's a horrifying film because the music is very thunderous and it's all like in red blood and stuff the way they mark these paintings mm. and it was it was just fascinating I was like I and it was one of those things where you weren't expecting it there's a little four minutes short at the beginning of the screening yeah that just comes in terrifies you and then just leaves and it, it took me a day to be like oh yeah I forgot about that like I should log it on Letterboxd of course like I had to basically write in half the information into Letterbox because the <laughs> movie barely exists according to go, go into that website but it was I just wanted to mention it cuz it was horrifying and wonderful and it, it's a little local animated short. So there you go. I'll see if I can share it if I find it anywhere else. Um other than that, I started getting into Apple TV. You can get a 7-day free trial so mm. I'm looking into that.
0: Will you be renewing your subscription after those seven Well,
1: years? I wouldn't if it wasn't for the fact that... Um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago that my mom... I think she bought a new iPhone. Oh, no, we bought her a new iPhone for Christmas. Yeah. With the family. So, she got a, a year-free subscription to it. So, we're going to use that. But, dude, the thing that it makes me question these... And it's, it's obvious all these companies are making these streaming services to mm-hmm. capitalize on... The trend, you know. Yeah. Oh, Netflix's doing really well. So, Apple needs their own service, and Prime needs their own service, or or is Amazon. You know, they all Disney need their own service. They all need services. Why do most of these knockoff services? They can't get the quality of life stuff right. Apple TV Plus has no search button, which is ludicrous. I cannot for the life of me find the uh like the queue list. Like you can add films to your queue. Mm. You know, like a watch list. I cannot find it for the life of me. So I just have a bunch of films in a queue, with no way to access it. It constantly signs me out every time I refresh the page. So I can't even watch half the films because like, you need to sign that in. It's
0: not user friendly. It's
1: horrible. And mm. I'm like, why? This is a knockoff site off Netflix. Just do what they do. Yeah. Just add the search button. Well, a lot of
0: a lot of different various types have all based their stuff off the Netflix formula, like. You know, even, like, sports streaming services have copied that model. Right, okay. Because it works. Um.
1: I just, I don't get it. And it's, like, I remember, um, not Stan, what's the one I'm thinking of? Um, oh, Binge. I remember Binge was, like, impossible to log into for whatever reason. I don't Mm. know why. And, um, I like what Prime does, though, because they have, like, all the trivia stuff. Like, you can actually open up, like, the cast and who's in this scene and trivia about the film and the cast and crew and stuff. Like, that's all wonderful. That's a great little addition that Prime have added. I haven't seen it done as well anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But, anyway, so I'm like, I got this bloody Apple subscription. I thought Cherry was already out, the Tom Holland film, but it's not. It's another couple of weeks, so I was like, now I've got this thing for no reason. So I, I watched, and we talked about this last week, I watched the Billie Eilish doco, which, okay. keep in mind, is almost two and a half hours long. Jesus. now, We've talked about this a little bit. We both watched Miss Americana at the start of last year. Um, neither of us were huge on it. I still gave it like a positive three star mm. like score. And my defense for it is even though there's that added mystery of like, well, how much involvement does she have? This was really uh what's the word? Structured. Structured, yeah. Like it it like it feels like she, the amount of input she had on the story that's been told about her sort of takes away what potential Yeah.
0: It doesn't feel like we're getting a genuine insight into her life and career. Exactly. Exactly. We're getting a constructed view.
1: Yeah. And my my counter to that, the reason I gave it a positive score, the reason I didn't mind watching it, is because there is still a beginning, middle, and end to a very specific story, the story of her becoming politically outspoken and uh, Mm. the self-doubt that comes with that and her position of power and influence. Mm. So I was like, okay, that's cool that they explored that. That's cool. That's what made me actually not mind the documentary. This one doesn't have that. It feels way more bloated. For two and a half hours, it does not have enough story in it because Mm it's it's literally just that. It's Billie Eilish writing songs with her brother and doing this and oh look, she's getting her license because she's seventeen and um, oh she's got these like leg injuries, so we're exploring that because you know she kind of injures herself a lot on stage from moving around a lot Mm -hmm. and then we see that you know them taking care of her legs and stuff. Um, We just see all of these things and it's like cool. Now, I will say, this film was not made for me. <laughs> As someone yeah. who's not a die-hard Billie Eilish fan, I I can understand that this wasn't made for me.
0: Mm, I mean, my, my counter to that, if you take the Taylor Swift one, is I think the whole point is to try and turn some of the people that aren't big Taylor Swift fans into Taylor Swift fans, because it's meant to be an insight into their sort of career and mindset, and... I don't know about the Billie Eilish one, but it's like, I don't think just because you're not a fan of the musician, you can't gain something out of watching a documentary about musicians.
1: That is true. And uh, both films I would have preferred if that was the case. Mm. I feel like maybe with the Taylor Swift one, there was a bit of that where Mm. you're right. They're trying to create a bit of empathy for her and maybe she gets new fans Mm. from the film. I didn't get that at all from this one, especially because there isn't that self-pitying element. You know, there is a little bit, there is about, you know, the harassment she gets and the public persona. There's a little bit of that, a little bit, but it, I watched it and was like, only people who are fans of her are going to enjoy this because it bloated. I have no reason to care about half the stuff that's happening here. You have to already have an established, yeah like love for this person. Two and a half hours is crazy. It's for- ludicrous. Yeah. How long this is. And I, again, the most interesting part of any of these docos, I haven't seen the Shawn Mendes one, but again, it's all part of this big wave of hyper-contemporary music biopics that mm. they're just there because they're going to make them more money. There's, there's no story here to tell. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, it, the fact is that, that their, their story is honestly not as engaging as had they been in their 50s and 60s and then they revisited right. where they started. Because... The fact is, you know, it's like Taylor Swift has only just got into her 30s. Shawn Mendes is like in his like mid to late 20s. Billy Eilish is in I think he's early... younger than us. Really? I think so, yeah. So that's what I mean. I think he's it's... in his early 20s as well. So it's like these people, they're, they're, their journey to the top of the mountain is not actually... does not justify two and a half hours. That's because their their life really probably doesn't justify two and a half hours. and it's like,
1: you can make a story out of someone being young and famous. I would
0: struggle to watch a Rolling Stones documentary that's two and a half hours long. And they've had 60 years of their career. Right. Like, (laughs) it's like, but it would be more appropriate that they got given two and a half hours because they've had a career that spans 60 years. Right.
1: And especially because there is a history there. Yeah. These docos, and I love the Greta Thunberg doco. I thought it was excellent. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing where... They just—it's not about the history of how did they become famous. It's such in the moment. Mm. It's they already had a documentary crew on them before they blew up, which is great. I think it works for Greta Thunberg because then we get to see like what her day to day life is before she became such a political spokesperson, um, and it kind of works for this as well because we get to see her, her journey leading through that album release and her winning all those Grammys and stuff. But you're right. It's just for two and a half hours. To have like a slice of life documentary It's insane mm. And I was bored by it By the way Sean, Sean Mendes born in August 1998 That's scary We are both older than Sean Mendes mm. Look what we've done with our lives But
0: <laughs> well, no one wants to listen to us for two and a half hours That's why we keep it under two hours Exactly on show.
1: we've never done a two and a half hour podcast One day we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah, Beyond our happen. will
0: Yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a Star Wars film <laughs> It'll be The Last Jedi
1: you are absolutely spot on about that. Um, well, I've seen one other film, Zeke. Do you want me to bounce it to you first?
0: Sure. I haven't seen any films this week. Um, but I have kept myself to the, the series. Right, um, the TV realm. So I know I've you been... watched the show that I watched recently, or a miniseries. So I did catch the Queen's Gambit miniseries. Very nice. Um, I watched it all over the space of, I think, two days. So. Um, oh, okay, wow. Well. Uh, and I really enjoyed queen's gambit there was a lot to unpack when i look back on it and i think okay. it's a um, very impressive uh show um but i i do stand by i think there's a lot of different readings uh that we can take from it and, and really di break down and diagnose what it's what it's essentially about, I stand by now. I've watched the behind the making of Queens Gambit. Oh, short, they've also got on, on Netflix. Yep, I saw that too. Yep, um, and they do say that how boring chest is to watch and shooting, it's a pain, and <laughs> and this is not a sports uh, series. But I actually fully disagree with that. I really mm. do think that there is a huge. This is a very strong contender for a sports series mm. in it because of the emphasis they put on the sport, um, particularly with her, um, is it Anna, Joy? Anna Taylor Joy, yeah, yeah, Joy Taylor, isn't it? is not it? was Joy Taylor? Was it Taylor Joy? Oh, no, it's Taylor um, Joy. Oh, okay. Always get confused, but her I get Roman Davis
1: Griffiths or Griffiths Davis wrong all the time as well.
0: Her character obviously constantly is being asked, you know, she's a woman in this sport that's surrounded mm. by men, but she shrugs it off. And even when female characters in the show acknowledge, Oh my God, this is pretty crazy for a female prodigy. Yeah. She shakes it off. She just wants to be really good at the sport. And that's why I got confused because the way they wrote her character, just in particularly the, the, the showrunner's opinion on it, um, that he didn't think it was a sports show, but like she is so clearly just an athlete that doesn't acknowledge, she doesn't acknowledge the, the feminist movement she's inciting in, mm. in society. She just wants to win. And that's very, way more taking the, the sports genre hat and putting it over. Like, right. I mean, at the end of the day, Rocky only just wanted to win. He didn't want to incite a social movement. <laughs> I mean, he just wanted to win. Um, We're all clowns, Zeke. (laughs) But that's my thing, where I was like, it was so clearly that she just wanted to be the best. Right. And it was her obsession with the sport and... And particularly in those final movements when she's, you know, going up against uh, Borg, Borgov, I think his name is the, the Russian, right, the Russian, the Russian team. And, you know, it's just that matrix S moment where she can see <laughs> everything without the use of the, the substances. And it's so clearly like, to me, that's so clearly a sports, right? Like just a final sports push. Like I, I could see, I, could, I love that the show. You can take, you absolutely can push, like, a feminist reading on it. Totally think it's there and it's justified. Mm-hmm. You you could talk about the, the, the mental health side, the psychosis side. Yeah. You could talk even about family relations and stuff or hereditary um, psychological disorders and stuff like that. But I do think the core cornerstone of it is the fact that it is actually a sports film. And it's a really compelling sports film. Yeah, I... Well, it's... Series. There's Sorry.
1: definitely... Because, yeah, I think, I think showrunners and directors can have a different intention than what comes off in the film. Like, Mm -hmm. you're totally... He is totally allowed to be wrong about it not being a sports film. Mm. Not that I think you could say anyone's right or wrong in the situation. That being said, I agree with you. I think it is... There are definitely plenty of, like, sports film tension scenes in there, and, like, the the intensity of which they shoot the Mm -hmm. chess scenes is what you would do in a sports film, is the intensity, and you're right, the the, the desire to win.
0: It's the rhetoric, too. Like, if you take... Like, I talked about a film... A couple of weeks ago, I think when you watched Queen's Gambit, um, Innocent Moves, which is also a chess, that's actually a film, that's a mm. sports chess film about like a child prodigy and stuff like that. But they put far less of that chess sport rhetoric into the film. It's very much about sort of the clashing stuff they they do that thing where they tiptoe around the actual specifics right but give give you enough to think ah oh, we're still talking about sport they they do that sometimes in like sport films that almost don't want to cloud their scripts with too much of the rhetoric from that sport it's like if a football movie like an NFL movie mm. um or a gridiron movie Used all of the plays and specifically said, "Well, we're going to use a forty-two <laughs> red," and everyone's like, "What the hell is a forty-two red?" Like, right, it's, right. It's like you know, it's whereas this show doesn't shy away from that stuff. There are full back and forth conversations where they're like going, like "Oh, the, well,
1: the, the 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 in baseball sort of yeah, discussion,
0: precisely." Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the Moneyball effect. Where yeah, it's yeah, like They're just spouting stuff, and you're like,
1: you're trying to catch up.
0: Yeah. Uh, but well, I really like. But I never. But they never felt like they went over the top to the point where you were just like, oh, I don't even want to listen to the scene. You were always. Oh no, you're, you're and...
1: fascinated by it. Yeah. And like that. I mean, that's proven by the fact that like those Google searches for how to play chess was spiked completely during uh, the release of this show. Mm. So I think you're right. I think this show definitely creates interest in chess. It doesn't like alienate people. Oh, yeah. Which I really like. Well, I'm glad you really enjoyed it. Hmm. Um. It's, it's funny you mentioned Moneyball because. I also watched Moneyball for the first time this week.
0: Whoa. Yeah. No. That word was that was the best unintentional segue. Right. Because
1: I was gonna segue being like speaking of sports films that aren't really about the sport Yeah. but then you literally said Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I'm no word of a lie, I watched Moneyball this week and I was kinda lukewarm in it.
0: Yes. Yeah, I fair. thought it
1: was fine and eno- I thought Brad Pitt saved the film for me. I thought he is just so great on screen and to watch. Yeah, like, I like Joan Hill in it. He's great too, but like, the the classic terminology of a person carrying a film, mm-hmm. this is a perfect example of that. Without Brad Pitt in that role, it would be very hard for me to enjoy the film.
0: It's a film that I went and saw in the cinema when it came out. Oh, wow. And I don't think I've visited it since then.
1: Yeah. I, it's, now here's the thing, I went into it being like, oh, this is a Sorkin film, Sorkin wrote this, great. It took me a while to realize this is very non-Sorkin-esque. First off, it's his least energetic film, mm-hmm. by far. You look at Network*, you look at Steve Jobs, you look at even A Few Good Men, you know, Trial of Chicago 7. They're fairly energetic films. There is a flow that propels with those films, and this film feels comparatively slower and mm-hmm. more mellow, which is fine, but the reason that is, is I found out that he didn't really write the film. He provided rewrites for it, so he wasn't like the original writer of the film per se and i think that shows i think for a film like this it's about you know computer statistics and and baseball tactics and like you know trying to figure out what's going to happen i think that film needs that social network-esque energy Mm -hmm. and that's probably why they got him to do the rewrites in the first place because this came out a year after Um, actually this came out in 2011 you could have quoted this film (laughs)
0: <laughs> i could have can you imagine
1: that yeah, oh, that would have been mind it actually blowing.
0: did come off of my thing but i didn't know you had seen the film
1: there you go i only saw it like three days ago um yeah i don't know i just i was kind of lukewarm on all of that I didn't think That's the fair. energy was there i the whole thing with brad pitt's like family i just thought was so rushed and so inconsequential like it's 40 minutes in before they just randomly like oh by the way he has a wife and daughter And they have this little moment where she's playing the guitar and singing and there's a bit of a, oh wow, like he's going to compare his ambitions as a child to want to be a baseball player to his daughter now wanting to be a musician. Almost never brought up ever again. I was like, oh,
0: okay. Yeah, for, for the life of me, I'm blanking on huge parts of this film. I feel like, doesn't it end in an airport?
1: It does end with him driving and the daughter has like a CD. She plays a song for him. And he's driving listening to a daughter singing. That's literally the mm, only other time that this is Arc is I,
0: mentioned. I blank on because like literally I saw it in the cinema so Ten I would have been ago. I would have been was twenty eleven, so fourteen. Right. So it's like yeah, it's just to me it's I recall parts of it. I know what it's about, but yeah, it's probably warranting a revisit, but I've just never been that compelled to revisit it.
1: I'll be interesting to see what you think if you rewatched it. But yeah. Like I think Brad Pitt saved it. for seen, me. It made I've it sure He
0: is the strongest part of that film. Yes, definitely. Um, so
1: and Jonah Hill's fine too. Yeah. The, the scene specifically when they're wheeling and dealing on the phone, like they're they're like, oh, okay, you're going to sell this player for this player, and then you're going to make this much money for this player. That particular scene. There's a few scenes where they do it, but the one where they do it together is like great. Mm. They're both great together in that scene. But, yeah. But I I don't know. I just
0: I, I wasn't. To there were other films from fight. 2011 I'm more compelled to rewatch. Exactly, <laughs> The well, Descendants. That,
1: that, that's it on my end. Have you seen anything else this week? Uh, yes.
0: I'm a, this. I'm on to the season finale of Westworld season three. Nice. And I've Watched the whole uh, season, and I just okay. So this is the funniest thing about this show. I was sitting there at about episode five or six, and obviously this season has Aaron Paul he yep. joins the cast which is already a stacked cast when you, <laughs> you look at it. And he's he's tremendous. Like, And he's yeah. actually pretty much the main character of season three. Okay. Um, so uh, he's very much the kind of catalyst. Um, is that
1: the first time you used the word tremendous on this podcast before? Potentially.
0: <laughs> um, I just, I love him. Like, it's so fascinating to me that it took that long to really give him sort of a a platform with Breaking Bad. I mean, I know that was mm. now over 10 years ago, so...
1: what? Well, yeah, it started over 10 years ago, yeah.
0: Um, but he's he's just a very engaged... And he works really well with... He spends most of the season with Rachel Evan Wood, who plays Dolores, who's also great. Yeah. She's been great all three seasons. Um, and every kind of cast member at some point to this point has had some form of cameo return... Um, obviously they've now left Westworld as the Jurassic Park Island that it okay. is. Yeah. Because that's what Westworld is. And they're kind of interacting in the real world. And they, just when I think that I was like, I remember watching the first episode when it came out, like when it fresh launched and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna wait for the DVD to come out and watch it all together. Um, I was a little worried cause I was like, oh, I don't know how this this concept of free will and AI is going to work in this, this society, like the, the big picture sort of, um, but they've just done an amazing job with it. I'm not going to spoil it. It's a must watch. All three seasons are a must watch for different reasons, but the way that they somehow managed to a show like that, which I think has the best first season of any show of the last 10 or 15 years. Um, the fact that they've managed to keep that going for two or three more, two seasons more, I don't know if this is the last season and I'm kind of hoping the way it's going, I'm kind of hoping it is. Mm. Um, because they, they're at that point now where they're really hitting the sweet spot where if they left, people would look back and go, wow, that three seasons was just really solid television.
1: Not, not to over say it's welcome.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's only, that's 10 episodes, seasons of 30. I mean, you got like performances from Jeffrey Wright and, and, uh, Ed Harris, which is also amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, the third Hemsworth is in there. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Luke Hemsworth. There's going to be like a seventh Hemsworth someday. There's going to um, be. Like he's really brothers. solid, but it's just a yeah. It's honestly, it's a really remarkable show. Um, Are they going to
1: re-ma- remake Hemsworth so that they're all women Hemsworths? <laughs> <laughs> is that, did that joke land everyone? Uh, is are like you laughing? Ghost, is that the Ghostbusters? Yeah, are, you, are you in your car laughing, um, everyone?
0: But um, a <laughs> joke. Yeah, it's a really good show. I'll probably finish up the commentary next week when I've finished the season. But mm. I just don't know why it's so engaging to me. I can this type of show I could easily find some people would be either bored or overwhelmed by. But I think the writing's so tight and compelling mm. and. It's such good, sci- like, modern-day science fiction. I yeah. think that's probably the best way of... Um, and, you know, in the first season, it's, like, Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins, they carry the show, and then that really bridges into, like, Rachel Evan Wood and, and Jeffrey Wright really get to carry it. And then this this season, Aaron Paul was a big part of it, too. Bit of a
1: baton-passing sort yeah. of situation. Yeah. Oh, and me- James Marsden, too. Ah, yeah. yeah. I just want to mention that Aaron Paul is also in a show with uh, Octavia Spencer in an Apple TV Plus show called Truth Be Told. I noticed that yesterday, and you mentioned Aaron Paul, so I just wanted to throw that out. I have no idea if it's good or not. But um, that's a fun fact for everyone. There you go. Out there. That's all I've got, though. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I think I uh, we're good to move on. Now, Zeke. Yes. Instead of a career update this week, mm-hmm. um, this episode's going to go live around the time, if not just before the Golden Globes, the 78th Golden Globes, occur, Yep. So I figured we'll do one quick super speed round of predictions. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but now I wanna actually put in fun little predictions. Now I don't I don't think either of us see last year when we did the Oscars, I feel like I had a really unfair advantage against you because I've been following every single award show and mm-hmm. what, you know, the people you know, the online in circle people were talking about. Because these are the globes, uh, it's way earlier in the season, so I have way less knowledge Mm-hmm. on what could happen mm-hmm. so I feel we're both going to have a much more equal chance of getting predictions correct and stuff yep. so that I think that's quite exciting so are you ready for me to spout the lists sure let's do it alright let's start with best foreign language film which is going to come up in our uh, show for the next couple of weeks uh, we've got another round we've got La La Rona we've got The Life Ahead we've got Minari and we've got the two of us what do you think is going to win tomorrow or today whenever? probably there's...
0: Minari right
1: I think it's going to be Minari as well. Yeah. Um I think there's a good chance that another round wins the Oscar because Minari is not eligible for the Oscar. But um it is here and I'm I'm with you. I think mm. just the buzz around it alone is going to make it. Neither of us have seen it yet, by the way. Yeah. So I'm um, just putting that out there. All right, I think we're both going with Minari on that one. Very cool. Best animated feature film we have The Croods and New Age, Onward, Over the Moon, Soul and Wolfwalkers.
0: I'll be Soul. Yeah,
1: so I think exact same deal. Yeah. I think Soul's a show in I haven't seen... I think Over the Moon is a Netflix film and Walkers is on Apple TV. Uh, and The Croods, I guess, is in cinemas now. I don't know Whoop. where.
0: I mean, it's good to see Nicolas Cage getting nominated in a film. Isn't he the dad voice? In, in The Croods? Yeah. Oh, I guess so. I, I, I don't know. The, the dad.
1: <laughs> That's great. Alright, so we're both going with Minari and Soul respectively there. Uh, I'm going to skip Best Original Song because I think neither of us have much to say mm. in these categories. We've also only seen... The Trial of Chicago 7 is the only film we've seen in the slot, so that's fine. Okay. Um, best Original Score. You have Soul, Mank, News of the World, Midnight Sky, and Tenet. Probably Tenet. Um, yeah, I'm not sure because I w- kind of would like to see Tenet win here. Mm. I think it's the only, probably the only thing that's going to win in any of these awards is Towards Its Soundtrack. But I also think people like Soul a lot and they're probably going to vote it solely you know, because it is a very musical film. Yeah. I think it's between those two, frankly. So, all right. I'm going to go for mm. Soul since you're going for Tenet. How's okay. that?
0: Yeah, let's go with that.
1: Right. But I would love to see Tenet win. I kind of yeah. wish it does win, to be honest. I hope it does. Um, and if The Midnight Sky wins, I'm going to jump off a cliff. So, just putting that out there. All right. Best screenplay. We have uh, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, Jack Fincher for Mink. Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of Chicago 7, Florian Zeller for The Father, which neither of us have seen, and Chloe Zhao for No Man Land, for screenplay. Um, promising young woman. I'm with you. I hope that wins. I think it's between her and Aaron Sorkin, I reckon. Yep. But um, I, I don't
0: think... think that's one of best, Sorkin's best scripts, though.
1: Right. I'm with you. I think it's not his best script. He's very I don't established. I think Fenel should
0: win in the directing category, so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're, we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of these, mm. I reckon. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. I hope that um, Promising Young Woman wins this category. Um, I would be very upset if Mank won, to be honest. Not a lot of people like that script. Or,
0: it's I didn't tr- hate the script, though. Right. Yeah. It didn't bother me that much, actually. I actually thought the script was probably one of the better aspects of that. Okay. Film. It's
1: mm. it's interesting because like so there is the whole angle of it was written by you know Finch's father and mm. I think a lot of people have respect for the script because of that and but I I don't know because see I think people are going to gravitate more towards the the recreation elements of making it like an authentic '40s film with the black and white photography and yeah I all definitely the would say it's
0: probably yeah the technical aspects are probably the, the stuff that deserve recognition the most like the cinematography yeah. and stuff
1: that's my that would be my thinking but I I can't predict what. I mean, they, they, these guys put music in this category, so he knows yeah. what their mindset's about. All right, we're both going to go for Promising Young Woman mm-hmm. here, I reckon. I, I, I'm i confident in it as well. Um, best Director, I think this is obvious, this one. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin for Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for No Man Land. That's uh, Chloe Zhao? Yep, we can just move on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, supporting actors, you've got Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Colman in The Father, Jodie Foster in The Maritainian*, Ami- Ama- Amanda Seyfried, holy moly, for Mank, and Helena Zingale for News of the World.
0: I'm probably going to go Glenn Close. Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm giving Hillbilly Elegy a, yeah. a, a nod, but she is easily the strongest part by a proverbial mile in that.
1: She's definitely the strongest part in the film, and... And I can't, the ones I, unfortunately
0: I can't support ones I haven't seen. Right. So.
1: Well, neither of us have seen The Father or The Maritainian, and I haven't seen News of the And I would
0: love to have seen The Father, but The Father doesn't come out in Australia until late April, so. Yeah, it's a while. It's a while. is really annoying. But. Yeah. Yeah. Because I probably would be saying The Father if it was.
1: Yeah, I love Olivia Coleman so much. I would love to see, because it's sort of like between those two again, Mm. I think. Yeah, just like with the favorite, and what was the Close film that she lost to the favorite too? I can't remember the name I of the film. It off
0: the top of my head.
1: But it was pretty much a rivalry between those two and Common One. She's so. the best
0: part. She is the yeah. Year. She is r- really strong in Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah, and her character is probably far removed from the type of person she is too. So there's yeah,
1: that. I agree. She definitely doesn't. She's not the same person. She yeah. does. she transforms if you want to. Yeah. Call it that. Um, I'm. Yeah, and I think, you know, the fact that we haven't seen the father, the fact that a lot of people haven't seen the father, probably means that these guys haven't seen the father much either. Mm. So I'm with you. I'm going to go with Glenn Close for He'll Be the like Elegy. Man, if we're. It,
0: frust- it frustrates me that when this happens, like just in general, when mm. these films they get nominated for this stuff, and if they go on to win awards, the fact that we don't get to see them until long after the awards of come and gone has right. always frustrated me. It you, you should be, there should have been an opportunity at some point during the year for us to go see the father. Or...
1: Well, it, it's all such a, weird, this year's a, an anomaly of course because of COVID. So yeah. it's hard to judge what's coming out when for this kind of stuff. I think, I mean this year we've actually been pretty lucky. We've seen a lot of these. Yeah. Um, which is not usually the case. But um, I think it's more of a fact that we just need to be on the lookout for where to find these films. Because mm. I think The Father is kind of... That's an oddity. If you look at all the films nominated here, most of them we could watch right now or mm. had the ability to watch throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's a, it's a very weird year for this. I think you typically you're right. There's a lot of films that just... You can't see until long after the conversation's over. Yeah. So it's, it's a shame that that's, that's the case. You're looking
0: for a clean sweep here, are you? In a, you're not going to get one wrong... For this award ceremony, is that what you were going to say?
1: No, what I was saying earlier that I don't. I have no idea. Hmm. But we just seem to be on the same page. I know what I was going to say is that if we're wrong, like we're really wrong, because yeah. most of our bets are the exact same. Yeah, we're not deviating a lot. Um, all right, so let's going to supporting actor Sasha Baron Cohen for the Trial of Chicago Seven, Daniel Cooley for Ju- Judas and the Black Messiah, Jared Leto for The Little Things. Our friend at the show, Jesse Niel, just saw that film and gave it a one-star review. What's that? Which one? Jesse Newell, uh, Which? the The Little Things with Jared Leto. Okay. So, he does not like that film. I don't think many people like that film. Bill Murray for On The Rocks and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. This is a tough one for me.
0: I'm going to go with Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking, because... I want to see it. And yeah. I've heard really good... It's either that or One Night in Miami out of those. <laughs> they're the two that I would have...
1: I think we're on the same, like... Brain at the moment yeah. because that was my exact thinking is we've seen Sasha Baron Cohen in Chicago 7 we've seen Bill Murray in on the rocks and I don't think either of them are deserving of mm-hmm. the win here so yeah. I agree it's going to be one of those two I'm going to say because I have absolutely no clue between the two what's more
0: likely Coolier well, he was the get out guy isn't he yes yeah. I think so and didn't get anything for get out I'm gonna right. give it to him. Okay, I see what you're doing. No,
1: it's <laughs> clever. It's clever. Um, right, I'm gonna pick Leslie Odom Jr. just to be different. From okay. you. Alright, we'll see how that goes. But we're on the same wavelength because we're we're nominating the two people that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Their performances. Um, just it speaks to the performances that we have seen. In and from category. what I
0: hear, those films have a lot more to say.
1: Yeah, they sound really good.
0: I really want to see. I I know one night in, one night in Miami. I can see right now. It's so on probably. Prime. Prime. Yeah. So
1: i got to get access to Prime again and do that. And and um, Judas and the Black Messiah at Luna in like two weeks. Okay. It will be in cinemas very soon for us. All right. Uh, actress in a musical or comedy. We have Marie Bacanova, Maria Bacanova for Borat. Uh, so I'm just trying to get it right. Uh, Kate Hudson for music. Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit. Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. And Anna Taylor-Joy Taylor Joy, for Emma. Uh, the only film I've seen here is Borat. And I honestly, just because of her impact in the zeitgeist with Rudy Giuliani and and that just that scene in particular and her relevance. I think it's gonna go to her. I really do.
0: What was what was the other ones? Emma. I don't even remember Emma.
1: Yeah, Emma from Annotated Joy. That was like a pre COVID.
0: Don't remember that one.
1: No, that's out now, but that that's the one that's getting shunned for its horrible portrayal of autism and Sears and oh it's Sears that, film that's the one yep 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 okay um, and what was the other one uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in French Exit and Rosamund Pike and I Care A Lot I'm hearing good buzz about her performance and I Care A Lot
0: I mean it's Rosamund Pike so you... yeah
1: but I don't think enough people. Um, have seen that.
0: Yeah, I'll just go with the Borat one for this one. I feel like if there was, if that Borat film was to pick up a award, that would probably be the one. Yeah, yeah.
1: I would love to see that because I mean, Sasha. We're about to go into the actor category for music comedy. Sasha Baron Cohen is nominated too as Borat, but he already won. He's already won a Golden Globe for that role. Mm. So I would like to see it go to someone else. The other four include James Corden for The Prom, <clears throat> Lin Manuel uh, Miranda for Hamilton. Uh Dev Patel for the personal history of David Copperfield and Andy Sandberg for Palm Springs. I'm just gonna say Sandberg. It, look, he's fine in Palm Springs. That's a fine film. Yeah. I most people like him more than I do. But,
0: but I've heard that Copperfield film sucks.
1: I heard that I'm not a fan of the Copperfield film.
0: Um James Corden, the prom Corden, I've seen the prom I've no English I'm just
1: gonna say it, this is a pretty poor category. You gotta kinda give it to Cohen again, don't
0: you, really? to be honest. well, I feel, why I feel not, like I got more out of that. Why not
1: just give it to Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton? If they count Hamilton, if it's in the yeah, nominations, they consider true. it a film. Just give it to him.
0: If We were betting you probably would pick the Hamilton one in that one, yeah.
1: That's why I'm going. Are you going to do that? Because you yeah. haven't seen Hamilton.
0: No, but I'm aware of the, the hype train around Hamilton. Okay, okay. Cool. And if somehow we're making stage musicals get eligible for film awards... <laughs> then sure <laughs> i know where you stand on that one <laughs> that's so stupid dude even theater people would defend that like, yeah maybe, like, it's, it's theater bit... awards are for theater people
1: it's a bit silly because yeah you got the tonys yeah. that's a thing yeah, yeah i know I'm... i watch the prom <laughs> they talk about it oh man Any, anyway yeah okay so i guess we're both going for that um, i like
0: how Corden gets nominated but meryl streep doesn't
1: yeah, people have noticed that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> people are not happy
0: about that. Meryl Streep's easily probably... And, and I would even argue... Um, What's his name? Um, The guy... Key. Oh, King Key, yeah.
1: The he's principal. Probably,
0: principal. He's probably the better part of... Right. I would have given it to him. Yeah, I think... I, I think, feel like people don't really like James Corden that much. No,
1: but I, I think I've heard somewhere that I think he's meant to host next year. Oh, yeah. So I think that's why they are just and, and that that's probably why that's Bloody Sears really movies in here too is
0: because oh it's they want to perform in it or something. Yeah, yeah, they want
1: they want them there. Yeah, but it sucks. But that's it. That is what it is. Alright, so we're both going with Hamilton on that one. Uh, actress in a drama, we've got Viola Davis for My Black Bottom. Andrea Day for The United States vs. Billie Holiday. Neither of us have seen that. Mm-mm. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. I don't think you've seen that. Nope. All right, uh, Francis McDormand for No Man Land. And Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. I think you're going with the same one as you talked last time.
0: Did I do Mulligan last time? You're talking about Mulligan, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm probably going to go on Mulligan here too. I'm
0: going to just give it to her just because Viola Davis and Frances McDormand are probably in the Oscar run. Uh, Interesting, yeah. Right, and I would think McDorm, like I would think she she'd pit it to be honest. Yeah, like Frances McDormand is going to win another Oscar for that performance, and Viola mm. Davis is going to be easily in the nominations for that. And I don't know if Kerry Mulligan will make the nominations for that.
1: I think everyone in here, bar Andrea Day, is a lock for an Oscar.
0: Like, nomination? Yeah.
1: Like, I think Carey Mulligan's like, momentum has, like, skyrocketed in the last month or so. Mm. Now, it's probably going down again, because people aren't talking about Promising a Woman anymore so much, but it's the time. This is the yeah. time when we're voting for these films, or the, the Academy is voting for I think for this these
0: is films. going to be the peak of her award season, though. Ooh. I just... I don't, I, I don't want it to be. I know, I know. But... but Unfortunately, a film like Promising Young Woman will get its awards here, and that's great because they can use that in the DVD marketing and all that <laughs> shit. They can use that. Yeah. Um, but films like Nomadland, they're just gonna
1: they're I'm gonna, gonna be
0: stealing a lot. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, obviously, with a lot of the production context around Chadwick Boseman, and it's still being a really, really good film. Yeah. Um, also adapted to stage play sort of stuff. That stuff does really well at the Oscars. Mm. Stage play adaptations, and um, Viola Davis is Viola Davis. I mean, what do you want? To say? She's amazing.
1: That it's interesting. It's interesting because I, I don't think Frances McDormand is going to win here or or an Oscar. And I love her in the film. I think what she does is is quite subdued. And okay. most people would not. So who go. do you think's
0: Pitt in the Oscar? Do you really the think Oscar?
1: yeah See, I'm kind of. I don't think she's going to win.
0: I would be surprised. So you think Davis will win it. I
1: I guess. I'm in the camp that she should have been in the supporting category. She's clearly doing fine in the lead category here. She's getting nominated and everything, but uh, that's tough. Because you're right, I don't know who, I don't know. And I think, dude, this is tough. This is actually genuinely tough. I think, tough I think I think Carrie Mulligan is going to win the Golden Globe. Yep. I mean, I it's going to
0: happen. Yep.
1: Uh, maybe you're right. Maybe this goes to Frances McDormand. Yep. Maybe people are just like, yeah, screw it. She's great. Give her the. Well, maybe nice, the Bozeman
0: train will be enough for, for, for Davis. Viola Davis. It's, it's between those two, I'm sorry. They're both okay. seasoned professionals, both and great films. Yeah. Um and great performances. Yeah. Both get moments of but I kinda like McDormand's more because she is it's she doesn't have a big monologue. Like Yeah, yeah. It's what she says with nothing.
1: Yeah. you're yeah, right. I what she does is so great and so subtle in that film. Yeah. Um, especially like working with mostly non-actors and yep. imbruting her character into this world, like she's yeah. great.
0: Which is a polar opposite to her three Billboards performance, where she gets big mon- gets yep. big big moments in that film. And she's a, she's just a tough bitch in that film.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then she went for Fargo. I think her role in Fargo is way more like like Fern
0: in this film. Yeah, um, more. Yeah. It's
1: definitely more comparable. Cool. A little bit more
0: comparable, but she's so happy-go-lucky in yeah uh, in Fargo. In Fargo, I was at
1: McDonald's at two in the morning the other night, and they were playing Fargo on TV, so good. and I had to explain to everyone what they were like. What film is this? It was the scene with Steve Buscemi, like getting half his face shot off, and I and I was like, guys, just watch this movie for five seconds, and they were like, what is happening? This is amazing. Anyway, anyway, um, all right, so for for the Globes specifically, we're both going to go with Kerry Mulligan for this one. For actor, you had Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Maureen's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and to or him for the Ma- Ma- Mauritanian. Um, you know what? You you mentioned this before, and I think you might actually be spot on. Or would, did you say Someone, one of us said it. I don't know what's, who says what anymore. That Riz Ahmed has a great chance of getting this award, and then Chadwick Boseman getting the Oscar.
0: Yeah, I did yeah
1: yeah i think that's gonna
0: happen i think that's exactly what's gonna happen yeah i really want to watch sand of metal that's on amazon prime yes right? along with uh, one night in miami man i gotta get a prime subscription just get
1: the free trial
0: yeah and just power through all these things. i got
1: two free trials with the same account i don't know how that happened because mm. i used it and then like a year or two later i tried again and it just worked i got a free thing mm. so i just give it a shot and there's some great stuff on there um cool that's what we're doing sound of metal Music or uh, musical, best musical or comedy, yeah, you know, Borat, Hamilton, music, Palm Springs, and the prom. Just give it to Hamilton, Hamilton. same deal. Yeah. Same deal as that's, the. Others.
0: That's a horrible category.
1: It's not great. Look, I think Palm Springs is a fine film, Borat's a fun film. Music and the prom, like, God, you could have put anything in there other than music. Jesus Christ. With, with
0: Palm Springs, do you think Melody is better than Sandberg? i don't know if she's
1: better but she definitely deserved to be in the actress category over like kate hudson for god's sake you know what i mean um so i think she was definitely underlooked as an actress in this film uh yeah i'm gonna go with hamilton screw it because everything else is either not great or fine yeah but hamilton was an event you're right that was a big deal yeah
0: what are you thinking hamilton yeah i can i've not even seen it yet but just off social societal hype and who it's going <laughs> up against, it's not got much of a yeah chance of losing, I don't think.
1: Palm Springs would be an interesting win. I wouldn't be upset by that at all.
0: People must really like Palm Springs. People
1: love it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not as high as most other people are, but people love that film. It's fun. Mm. It's a fun little quirky thing. Um all right, and finally best motion picture drum, we have the Father, Mank, No Land, Promising Young Woman, and the Trial of Chicago Seven. I think we're going to equal up on this again.
0: That was Mank.
1: Uh, Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Trial of Chicago 7. No competition. That's uh, Nomadland. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: For that one. Yeah. I think it's spot
1: on. She's going to get director and, and picture here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think there you go. That Those are our predictions. Very, very similar. I think we strayed differently three times. We picked different uh, supporting actors. Just because, to be different, literally. Neither of us have seen those performances that we picked up. Different scores. Different scores. Again, just to be different. Mm -hmm. I would like to see you right in this scenario. And is that it? Yep. We both went for Glenn Close. We both went for Maria Buckner. Two. We picked two different things.
0: Yeah, and just cause.
1: That's just cause. (laughs) Kind of speaks to the... uh, to the season we got going Absolutely.
0: On. Well, speaking of... That was aggressive. Films <laughs> that were nominated <laughs> at the Globes, although albeit at the start of that conversation, it's time to move in our Film of the Week. But, Jake, what are we watching?
1: This week in the show, we're watching... Another Round. <laughs>
0: godt det 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 spørgsmål er, hvad der i virkeligheden er Der findes en norsk filosof, han mener at født med for jeg kunne da godt bruge en halv på basis for at få mere Det da også brug for.
2: Jeg synes det er spændende.
0: Det også. Så det er det vi Four high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. This is directed by Thomas Vintenberg. Well, you,
1: now you're doing the accent with uh, me too. <laughs> who
0: we did his director's corner last week with The Hunt. Yes, uh, so part two. And like you said, you were really proud off-air after we finished that episode that we managed to avoid bringing another round too much into that conversation.
1: Yeah, I was worried that we were just going to... Because we saw them in such close succession together. Precisely. And we had so much to say about another round that I'm shocked that it almost... Didn't come up at all in our conversation. The one thing I want to mention... Yes. Because I'm, I'm, I'm considering this a sequel to last week's conversation. Mm-hmm. You should, really should be listening to both these episodes back Much to back. like
0: the uh, Coppola double.
1: Yeah, the, the Virgin Suicides on the Rocks double pack. Yeah. Double feature pack. You mean Globe
0: nominated. Uh, yeah, for Bill rocks. Murray.
1: For Bill Murray. <laughs> the one thing I wanted to mention as, as a direct sequel, quote-unquote, to last week's show is we talked a bit about the Dogma 95 movement. This is the movement that Vintenberg co-found with um, Vasel and Trier. And we talked a bit about our thoughts on why the director wasn't credited Mm -hmm. in the film. Now, at the time, we both were like, yeah, I think this is what it is. You said that it was to do with that, that the film and its directorial style should be self-evident and that you should almost recognize the director without needing to be told who it is. Yes. I thought about The Servant last week and I'm like you know what I think it might actually be the exact opposite reason I think a directorial style shouldn't be recognised in the film because it's all about the themes and the performances like that's the idea of the Dogma 95 movement Mm -hmm. and the more I think about it the more I realise that means the director doesn't even want to be named Like they just want the story to speak for itself so much that the director doesn't get credit I I'm started to think that's what it's actually for Oh. But I think it's fine that we have both completely different. It's a very uh, yin yang approach, to exactly, it. exactly. Um, well, I just wanted to point that out really quickly before we get into another round, which is uh, I think equally as restrained as last week's film, as the hunt in terms of cinematography and, and style and everything. Yeah, but um, it's got a much fresher, more fun take, I think, to the story.
0: Yeah, um, I think so. We went and saw this at Luna. Um, we both SX. now have, uh, yeah, SX, yeah. the one in Fremantle. Um, we both have Lunar Privilege cards now, so we're both cashing in. We're both very privileged. So. Um, and, yeah, no, um, it was pretty great. We got the whole cinema to ourselves because we went yeah. on a midday, uh, midday. first day 10.30 a.m. So, <laughs> no one in it. And, you know, we've talked about it over the course of the show, how much we love having those empty cinema experiences because right. it really allows you to, if yeah. something's confusing you, you can ask... If the other person knows, What's you, can happening? A, you can make a little commentary on it. You can yeah. you can actually give your immediate thoughts on something. It's a little more difficult with a Danish film where you have to constantly read the subtitles to speak a lot. Cause... Yeah, I
1: know. A couple of times I was like, I need to stop talking because I'm missing this. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: so, not that's what I learned. Because um, it's the first time I've watched a foreign film in an empty cinema. Ah, oh, fair enough. Um. And yeah. but yeah, I walked away enjoying this film next to just as much as the hunt. Um, mm. I love this film. I think this film had a really strong quartet performance between all four of you. So you
1: got Mads Mikkelsen, who plays Martin, the history teacher. Mm-hmm. You got Lars Ranf- Ranfi, who plays Peter, the music teacher. You got Thomas Bo Larsen as Tommy, the sports teacher, and you got Magnus Millang. Mm-hmm. Milank uh who plays Nikolai the psychology
0: teacher teacher and which i think 3 out of 4 of these were in the hunt yes
1: they had major roles in the hunt
0: so particularly um Bo Larsen and, oh, and yeah, Mickelson yeah
1: well Bo Larsen yeah he plays the uh the the father of the daughter who's who's made the accusation and um Magnus uh Milank plays the sort of the head guy in that little you know organization that's trying to get mad mickelson off or prove his innocence Mm. he's like the head guy in that little thing um so he's got a speaking role and he's like oh he's the guy who visits the sun for the first time when the sun finally arrives and then the guy comes in and sees him eating breakfast yeah um so he's the psychologist in this film uh yeah so there's a lot of cast joint there's a lot of the same people in this film so from a directorial standpoint it's obvious that thomas vintenberg has a, uh, has has friends. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So I really, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Obviously, like mm. this film starts <laughs> off with sort of going through the monotony of of Mickelson's sort of life as a history teacher. He finds himself quite. Un- I mean, actually, the film literally starts at a lake, much like the hunt starts oh, yeah, at. It does too, we yeah. we argued if it was the same lake and this was shot in the same town, maybe. And, Never know. Um. But uh, yeah, then it goes into sort of the daily monotony of all four of these gentlemen's sort of lives. They hmm. they seem all a little unenthused. Like, but particularly Mickelson's character seems like he's hit a real rut, dead end of his life. He feels disconnected from his family, from his wife, from his work.
1: Hmm. Well, specifically for for them, their relationship with the students. Yeah, is that as teachers they're just such bland, boring teachers that can't get engagement out of their students.
0: Yeah. And it gets to the point where um, um he has a real kind of Walter White first act sort of going <laughs> on here, that he's clearly, uh, particularly Mickelson's character, as they talk about over the dinner, was, you know, doing a PhD. Like, he was destined for greatness and was right, held okay. back by the fact that he was a high you know, boring, unenthused high, high school teacher. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of parallels you could draw there um obviously that one of them goes on to cook math for a living yeah they don't do that <laughs> they, do, they do divulge at a certain slightly point
1: slightly more innocent film um, what they do
0: but um it's it gets to the point where teachers are starting to uh, sorry parents of the students are starting to intervene in in like mickelson's class calling him out on his unenthused teaching and that their students need their future Like, and they need certain grades to obtain. Right. Well, what... It's interesting. I'm going to
1: talk about that scene in particular a lot in this episode, but obviously it is there to establish that there is a disconnect between the students and the teachers and the Mm. parents because the argument there is that they're trying to convince him to give them the pass so it looks good for the school system. Yeah. Despite the fact that whether they actually earn those passes, whether they're actually doing their exams and doing well into them. But it's there solely to just dis- to show you right that the disengagement and that mm-hmm. and i love his response man mickelson as uh martin where he basically said like he calls him out like oh well, if you guys got off your phones then maybe you would actually be better at this class yeah and um you're right so it's sort of showing that disconnect and how he he is sort of in the wrong there because he has to change his methods he has to become more infused and engaged with the students and mm-hmm. of course as the uh the title would suggest that is done via alcohol yep so i i do like this film a lot and we we've had you know fun arguments off the off the show about sort of how much we like i don't i like the hunt much more than this film yep um not not to speak all oh, of this film i just think the hunt is like close to a masterpiece really that film um while this film it sort of does go the way you expect. We talked about this, you know, the free act structure. Of mm-hmm. It's very clean and clear cut, like, where the low point is and, and that. I did talk to um, one of my teacher friends who actually did love the ending, specifically. saying, Did not love it? No, he did love the ending. Because okay. um, I pointed out, I'm like, well, it does kind of go the way and you expect. And he said, yeah, well, you know, the way it ends. He didn't expect it to end. Like, he thought it was very clever how they revived from the low point. And how they sort of pick themselves up, and that whole structure, he found that very clever. Which is like, okay, cool, cool.
0: Yeah, the the, the epilogue is definitely Mm. um, sort of brings it back to a more positive ending, but sort of a positive ending that has seeds of tragedy, and if not a little bit accountability there, it's you know, it's something to note. and I like a little bit of the social commentary on um, sort of the Danish drinking culture. They have yep. a very similar problem that Australia has with its drinking culture where um, sort of just the overindulgence of alcohol um, to the point where you can see it when obviously like Mickelson starting to incorporate it into his classroom teaching methods mm. and and um, the music teacher is is literally convincing one of the students that has kind of anxiety problems that the best way to get through it is having a few swigs of vodka and stuff yeah to cope with stress which is you know may help in that moment but obviously that there's the undertones of well that's the seeds of tragedy waiting to happen and that if someone uses alcohol as their vice for their stress and their anxiety this could lead to major problems in the future and obviously you know the 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 cultivating results of their their experiment leads to you know the tragedy of you know one of them passing away yeah because of of their overindulgence with alcohol which makes the that, ending although you know it's ha- a great like a moment in time absolutely <laughs> but it also you know it shows that sort of like did they really learn their lesson sort of mm,
1: that's interesting yeah, I think it's funny because me watching it, I took first of, all, I love the relationship between all the ca- the the teachers and the students. Like, I love the scene or multiple scenes when, um, you're right, it is the music teacher who gets, you know, he get, convinces the student to drink alcohol to to ease their nerves to do the exam. Yeah. and I, and in all fairness, it, in the short term, you're right, it does prove successful because I'm pretty sure he does pass mm-hmm. the exam and he is given well the confidence. I actually argued with you during that screening. That, even though it is literally vodka that the kid is drinking, mm-hmm. like it's not literally a placebo effect, but I think it partly is in the sense that there's also the element of the teacher being like, oh, you got this, you got, there's like a literal calming effect.
0: Well, it's, it comes back to it's, giving. Giving. it's it's sort of youthful effect of alcohol too, that... Um, that, and it comes, it actually comes back to the foundation of their original social experiment. So obviously when the four gentlemen at the end of the first act, they're all, they've gone to dinner because one of them, it's their birthday and it leads to Mads Mikkelsen's character very much having a breakdown, a very much midlife crisis breakdown. Like, you know, he didn't think his life would get here. It's in a rut. His marriage is kind of on a decline. He's disconnected from his kids. He doesn't love his work. He thinks he could have done so much more with his life and... Obviously, that leads into the the foundational discussion that um, the psychology teacher has found a study in which uh, suggests that people were born with a blood alcohol content of 0.05 less than they should be. Right, Which um, is, as they roughly equate to, like, two glasses of wine constantly being in your system. Yeah. Um, And... Um, I think you're right with the placebo effect there in the sense that what that does is what it's suggesting is that two glasses of wine in your body, you feel it, but it's also the the psychological effects that that has, which you could be unlocking. I mean, that's where the expression things like Dutch courage and stuff comes Mm. from, you know, like people become more confident because they know they have this drug in their system yeah. that they know generally makes you more. It's like when you're 18 or when you first start drinking, you drink significantly less because you're not used to it in your system, but you act like you've drank significantly more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like when... Well, it's
1: heightening yeah. those senses in a way.
0: Well, it's like being, you know, it's like you and I, we're both 23 now, and we're on our way to 24, and if we went to an 18-year-old's birthday in which no one drank before that birthday they would make all the same mistakes that we made at 18 they'd bring way too much alcohol they would drink way too like they would drink four or five beers and they would think that they're acting like they're on 10 or 15 beers you know it's like it's just because the it's that kind it's actually you're right there is definitely some form of placebo in their head that thinks oh i'm way more intoxicated so i have less accountability for my actions Mm. and so definitely, only having a few swigs of, of vodka. The whole point is to you're confident, you're relaxed, you're able to do this.
1: Yeah, and having that teacher, like you have one half mm. of those examiners saying, "You can do this, you can do this, you can do mm. this. It's fine, it's fine. I trust you." And um, that, I think that's more important than th- the alcohol. That is the
0: that is the problem, though, because obviously this this the in parallel to these sort of scenarios happening, we're seeing these fully grown men think that the alcohol is the reason that their lifestyle is improving or it's becoming more uh, exhilarating and Mm -hmm. and stuff because, oh, well, we're intoxicated all the time. We have the confidence to do these things. We're going into classes and we're not socially anxious of what the kids are learning or we find the material 10 times more engaging because we're Mm -hmm. more engaged in the classroom where we are because of how we're feeling right now. right And that leads to them spiraling because they start to push the limits further and further and further and um i do think that the plot of this film is not as twisty-turny as something like The Hunt um right. i don't think there are many times that this film subverts your expectations going like too much but i also don't think it needs to um, no
1: it's it's definitely
0: The content alone is compelling enough.
1: Yeah, I think part of me, and I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I walked in, there weren't any surprises. Mm. There's no surprises in this film, not really. And, you know, land doesn't have any surprises. Yeah. That played out exactly how I thought it was going to It's still a brilliant, brilliant film. It lived up to those expectations. But I I don't know. I think part of me was expecting it to be a surprise or just really hopeful that it was going to take a U-turn somewhere. And really take us somewhere unexpected. And we joked about that during the screening, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, like this is the part when this is going to happen." And then we joked, "Being like, no, that's going to happen. Something like so wild or left out of feels going to happen." And mm. you're right; it's not a big deal that it plays out exactly the way you expect it to. Yeah, I mean, if you true. don't care about that, you're going to love this film.
0: Yeah, there's enough in there. Like, I, I really think the content alone supports. Um, supports the runtime like Mm. it's it's i think it's actually if you look at the hunt and you look at this film the hunt technically has a driving like it's scenario that leads to the domino effect of stuff realistically like we talked about in our discussion last week the film could have been over in 20 minutes had someone at some point in time just confronted and like it had been ironed out, but it was the fact that it didn't is what right. kept it twisting and turning and make you know adding to it. Whereas this film, yeah.
1: well, there would be no film if that happened. That's, that's <laughs> Twenty minutes in, yeah, no,
0: exactly. But it's like it, when Clara says that what she says, or yep. Mads, or when does that inappropriate thing where she kisses Mads Mickelson, yep. and Mads Mickelson's character had just gone straight to the <laughs> to the the the, the far, you know the preschool teacher and just gone ah this chick's uh, this this girl's doing this girl's doing inappropriate behavior i just wanted to make it clear that there's like you know obviously the film be, but, and it's the fact that he you know it wasn't the, the activity like it wasn't being proactive enough yeah, yeah, yeah. earlier led to cascading effects of mob mentality and stuff whereas this film very clearly sets out the social experiment and we're just watching this social experiment unfold
1: and set a visual image of the hunt but like the alternate universe version of the film, yeah. where he
0: just walks in and he's like, "Yo, that chick just kissed me, eh?" <laughs> it <don't
1: know. laughs> says it
0: in English, yeah. And just to me, it's like this: this film never was going to have really big twists because it doesn't need this to. The story doesn't, it. yeah, call for it, really. Yeah, the 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 twists come from the slow self destruction of all four of the character. Well, in particular, some of the characters more than others um, from their 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 own overindulgence well except really the the music teacher he's the only one that kind of gets so i walked away from this but then it also leads to they actually address this in the film there's the intelligence that at the end of the day uh, just because you're all at 0.05 blood alcohol level you all act differently at that because all of us have different reactions to concentrations of alcohol, and yeah. there are multiple scenes in which some characters are astronomically more like got more blood alcohol in their system, but they're more reserved and more calm um, than other teachers, and that's what they try and gauge at least earlier on before it spirals out of control. I mean, yeah. one of the characters loses control of their bladder and and pees that's, the that's bed. What I was um, of, yeah. One of the characters. Well, that's the
1: same character who is trying to get up to the... Is it point...
0: I think it was point... 1.2. One, 1.
1: 1.2. 1. 2. Yeah, 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 1.2. Um, They were trying to match Mad Mickelson's blood level or yeah. alcohol blood level and just couldn't do it. Yeah. They were just in their room, like, basically about to pass out because they just could not get to that alcohol blood, blood level. But... So, yeah, you're right. There's different reactions from everyone.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that the, the film accounts for this sort of stuff. Like, it has that intellect there. And mm. it also shows... Um, sort of the, the cascading effects of alcoholism. They all got into this together and they all gradually got more and more alcohol in their system. And yet, when the time came to call an end to the experiment, three of them were able to let it go. Two of them were able to go cold turkey completely. Right. One of them had a little bit of indulgence and then one of them couldn't let it go, like at all.
1: Yeah, R.I.P. R.
0: And <laughs> I find that really yeah and obviously it leads to the you know their their fatality but it's um and I, I think that that in a nutshell is the microcosm of alcoholism and how some people can just get off that sort of addiction much quicker than other people can
1: yeah um, it's definitely like those outliers in the experiment and i do like the way they go about the experiment and it's obviously that you know they're, i mean they, they're all teachers so they're writing it down and they have their yeah. own I mean that's something they talk about early in the film as well. Is that a lot of them they're losing their research hours? If I recall, mm-hmm. that's that's a thing. And I, you know, this is probably a good segue as well too, because I, I think the film does a great job, you right, know, of tackling mm-hmm. all those the alcohol aspects and how each person reacts differently to different uh, alcohol blood levels and stuff. The thing that I found interesting first off, both films focus around a teacher or teachers, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. It must be Thomas Fintimo He was a teacher in the mm-hmm. past. I don't know. Maybe he is a teacher. Who knows? But
0: I think future future me films.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly, and it's like I think there is a reason why he keeps tackling teachers, and I think he does have something to say about the education system. That again, this is the one thing that sort of again I don't like using the word disappointment, but I feel like they definitely didn't use this aspect enough. Is that scene we mentioned where you know they're trying to convince Mad Mickelson's character, hey, can you just fudge these numbers and get them through the system? You know, it doesn't matter if they're actually studying on it, it doesn't matter if these kids are reckless and they get drunk on the weekend every every weekend mm-hmm. or so. Um, just pass them. And I understand that's not what the film's about. I get it. But I was disappointed they sort of dropped that because I, as someone who understands how that all works wonderfully in Australia, wonderfully I understand it very well in Australia, and was so intrigued by the fact that this film from Denmark has a very similar situation that's mm-hmm. apparently happening. I don't know, I was just... I feel like they could have taken that further. They could have wrapped that into the story more. Yeah. Um, and and again, I think Thomas Vinterberg. he's clearly someone who has something to say about this, but he hasn't said it, or at least not yet, or not in a film that I've seen of his yet.
0: Yeah, well, interesting to see if he'll tackle it in the future. Yeah.
1: I, I'm guessing you're not really too fussed. About this aspect of the film? No,
0: because I feel like it just added... It was utilised in this film in particular to just add to the, the disconnect that Mickelson feels yeah. from society that he wasn't able to, because it's not only the fact that they want him to fudge those sort of numbers to get the kids over the line, it's because they've been told that his classes aren't, aren't compelling or interesting and they right. don't engage students. And he himself is accused of honestly looking like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, and gets asked, gets posed that sort of question. Well, if you don't want to teach them, why should why should they get you know punished for not not applying themselves? If you are not going to apply yourself in these classrooms,
2: yeah,
1: and and you are definitely right in the sense that the film makes that argument too, because he makes that his defense, his comment is to blame the phones. You know, well, you are so distracted by your phones, but ultimately, what he does to become a more engaging teacher, it does work. It yeah. does get the teach the students engaged. So. Hmm. They were and right. To, it for was for the his fault.
0: Like in those opening scenes, when he's not engaging, students aren't on their phones. Yeah, students are just bored in class. They they're wanting him to be in, or they're confused because he'll yeah. start at a part of the lesson where he's completely missed a whole other section. He just yeah. So, but yeah, and then we find it like obviously as as the experiment unfolds and he's becoming this more engaging teacher. Um, students are more engaged and yeah the epilogue really kind of pays
1: it's the payoff to that relationship between the teachers and their students yeah and they become i mean this was something you know, i don't want to tie it too much in but i was i was you know working the other day with teachers and they were presenting class, and they were talking about how special it is to have a relationship between a teacher and a student where the student remembers their name yeah you know five years on and that, that they had an impact on that student's life and that's what happens in this movie they mm. succeed in leaving an impact on the students.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's pretty much bang on. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about?
1: Yeah, let's talk a bit about. So we talked last week about the cinematography. We've already talked a tiny bit about the Dom, Dogma ninety five movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's virtually, you know, very similar. You know, cinema verite style. Lots of medium close up, handheld shots. There's yep. a scene where they, I think they're stumbling out onto the, like onto the road. And I just... The camera... It feels like a documentary crew sort of chasing them from behind. Um, so I like that. The other thing that I found interesting that The Hunt Doesn't Do This From Does mm-hmm. is their little title cards that they have. So when they're yes. typing out the experiments or they're texting someone on their phone, it displays as a title card, almost like a silent film. And I thought that was really interesting. What do? You, why do you think that they did that? Or that Thomas
0: Vindenberg did that? Um... It's really interesting, actually, because mm. um, even the style is... is I think it helps bridge the, the... When they're writing the paper, I think it helps bridge the sections of the, the film. And, and also hides kind okay. of the acts. Um, interesting. But it, I, the texting side, when, like, Mickelson's texting his wife, I found, like, the way they bridge that over... Maybe it's just a way to stimulate what is a a relatively, you know, mundane activity without showing the screen. Like, it's just a different mm. way of expressing it. Like, yeah. I mean, I think we're all sick of when the, a character the texts, they're doing the message bubbles yeah. or the, the screen drag, I think. And that tonally just wouldn't work with this film. So at least it was consistent with the...
1: That's true. Um, I, I I think you're right, there's a consistency. And I've noticed, like, Euphoria, the show, does a similar thing where all the texting scenes are just subtitles. Mm. As if you're watching a foreign film, they just come up on the bottom, the subtitles of what they're texting. And it feels very natural. Yeah. I was shocked by that. And then this film, it very clearly cuts the the title card. Here's the text. Yeah. And it it plays the sounds underneath. It's not like there's... There's not music under the title cards, but... It is very, you're right, it's an interesting way to do it. It's I think different. it
0: just, yeah, it's just a different way of, uh, uh, and dynamically making it important. So, like, what they're typing in their report, even if it's just the heading mm. that we're covering, um, really helps express the mindset of the group, of the quartet. Right. Um, uh, whether it's, uh, oh, we're pushing it higher to test these effects, or we're pushing it, or when it gets to the end, it's, you know, we're ending the experiment because of the social and alcoholic, you know, alcoholism impacts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's very grounding, and, and I think it just draws attention to what is being typed or what is being received because in those scenes, it's we need to put emphasis on the importance of their mindset. Yeah. That rather than when they do like the speech bubble effects, it's like. You're honestly, your eyes aren't always drawn to the message. You're drawn to the reaction of the person typing. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Because it, it fills the screen up with more clutter. Yeah. And it's funny because obviously, you know, my film Disconnected does a similar thing where it's not text bubbles. It's um, either we cut to a close up of the phone, which I've learned the hard way is very hard to pull off because mm-hmm. you never know what screen the film's been watched on. You never know the quality it's been watched in. Yeah. So, like a 480. DVD version of the film; it's very hard to read the text sometimes. Yeah. Um, also, instead of text bubbles, we would do pictures to highlight certain things or little cartoon images that float in the air. Now, stylistically, I think it was more relevant. You're right; that would not have worked at all in this film. But I think you're right. I like the simplicity of it because it is very clear and concise mm-hmm. what you're meant to look at, where your eyes drawn to. So, yeah, you know, I think there's several reasons. You're right. I think we sort yeah. of. Covered that pretty well. I'm um, trying to think what else. You sort of made the joke already that about an Australian... Or it's I probably did. an Australian. There's
0: going to be a westernised version of this film in the next five years. I'll put money down on right.
1: it. Well, an Australian.
0: I'd um, love it to be an Australian one. It's right. probably going to be an American one. Yeah.
1: but That's the top comment it's on going Because
0: <laughs> it's going to win... Like you said, it's going to win the Globe, probably.
1: I think it's going to win the oscar
0: and i think it'll. i win think minari's oscar. gonna
1: win the globe
0: oh okay you it, really think uh
1: <laughs> well minari's not eligible for the oscar so i think another round's a shoe in i reckon
0: really why is it not eligible for the oscar i, I think because it
1: was shot in america so i think that kind of complicates if it's called international film it can't be an american film okay but, but it's gonna
0: win stuff. one of those two and it'll be nominated in both so, yes, yes, um, I really do think an Americanized version of this script is going to, or or hopefully I do think this should actually have more to say in Australia in Australian, if we're yeah. going to get an English version of this film, English first language film, I don't see the point of making it a British film. I don't, mm. it, it kind of makes sense in Britain. It does. Um, cause what about an Irish Britain. film? <laughs> like a, a UK film, but it's too, like to me, that's too close to the original source. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no point in if you're gonna do it, it's either gonna be an American, or in my opinion, would make way more sense in Australia because Australia has a very similar sociological and societal drinking problem, mm. um, that we don't like to address, but it's there. <laughs> um, <laughs> that yeah um i think would be quite effective in a australian um setting um i'm not the biggest fan of english reboots i i do like um the original source material most of the time and then right. often the original source material is better than whatever the western interpretation is often normally by a pretty big margin too yeah. Why? Well,
1: um, look, if they made an Australian remake... I agree. I think that's a, not a bad location to make. Because that was the same thing with Rams. Rams is based on a Swedish film. Or I think it is a Denmark film. Okay. Might actually be. But I'm my understanding is it's definitely not as good as the original one. And I would think the same about this. But I agree. I think Australia is not a bad place
0: to, to make a remake. It's got the same drinking problem.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like you can definitely have a different culture represented but sort of the same themes yeah. of alcoholism and stuff.
0: I mean the problem with uh, foreign language films and is the problem
1: with foreign language films yeah is you know
0: <laughs> they're limited to the audiences that either are huge film fans like ourselves who right. don't mind sitting through some subtitles or they're limited to people that are from Denmark. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, right. like, very... I don't know many people. Like, if people don't like reading subtitles, they don't watch subtitle films. Like, that's just... There is a whole demographic of people that watch films who yeah. only watch it's Western versions of film. It is unfortunate, but it's true. I mean, yeah. that's why... That is literally why we deviate Western cinema from Europe cinema. Because right. some people just do not like um, reading subtitles. Or, like, like... Very silly people. At least for the whole film. Like people can watch films that are 90% English and have 10% dialogue where it's like subtitled the Russian yeah. villain. Yeah. Literally There's the Russian. A, I was going go to say Rus- the Russian villain or kill the American, the, the, the yeah. German, the German villain.
1: And now you will die. <laughs> <So, laughs> now just doing Emperor Palpatine. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, do you want to move in a highlight sense? Yeah, let's do it. Let's Easy. What was your highlight, highlight scene?
1: My uh, very subtle, but it, it was there. Um, was the exact moment where the boys quit the uh, experiment. And this precedes the scene where Mads Mickelson has the argument with his wife. That's something we haven't really talked about too much, but, mm. you know, it basically it turns out like alcohol is not really a solvent for that the family issues because they were already there, mm. they were already intent she cheated on him. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, we get from that argument and it leads into the next scene, which you very uh with plenty of wisdom said you do not drink after a moment like that happens to you yeah um so all the boys drink and have this we don't even see it it's just quick flashes of what we assume is a very not great session of drinking yeah and it just sort of ends with them all very silently staring at each other with these stern faces no words are said and then it comes up with the text the you know the end of the experiment whatever it says i can't remember but that little moment i was like wow that was that, that is very impactful, but yeah. it's also very quiet. Yeah. And I really love that scene. What about yours? What's your highlight scene,
0: Zeke? Oh, it's got to be the epilogue. Yeah, fair um, right. It's the... with your favourite song? What a Life, <laughs> um, which I have listened to a lot in the last week. It's a great song. It's a great song. But it's, the, it's kind of the cultivation of that scene, obviously um, falling from the separation of Mickelson with his wife. They do meet up again. He says he misses. Like, he's wanting to earn her back, right? Mm. And... This is one of um Bo Larson's last scenes, um, prior to this is go get her back, like before, yeah. you know, we find out he goes on his boat and is kinda of never seen again. Um or at least it's some We can pretend
1: but... he has a happy ending.
0: Yeah. He does, he literally <laughs> does sail off into the, the, the sunset or whatever.
1: It's it's the Simpsons scene where <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day where Marge is like driving a canyon era, and she's getting road rage. Mm. And there's like a funeral car, very slowly going down the street. So she like cuts them off. And Reverend Lovejoy is like, "Oi, show some respect for this coffin full of bricks that represents a man lost out at sea." That kills me every time. It's so <laughs> um, funny. But yeah. So,
0: <laughs> um, and then it leads to obviously a text where she finally concedes that she misses him too, and maybe that their relationship might be saved. And at the same time, when they're having this sort of uh, post-mortem dinner for their friend that they've lost, um, all of the graduating students of that class... Party bus. ...come in on their party lorries, basically, (laughs) wearing sea caps. And, yeah, obviously, what are they doing? They're indulging, they're drinking, they're having fun, and they embrace their teachers and this weird sort of, like you know, like celebratory, like, oh, everything's fine. Like, and of course they hand them drinks and what do they do? They start drinking and yeah. again, and um, we get to see Mickelson who in the first, the first dinner where they were all meeting up was talking that he used to do jazz dance as a, as a teenager. and Right.
1: That's brought up a lot actually throughout the film is him kind of reluctantly not doing Jazz it. ballet,
0: sorry. Jazz yeah. ballet. Um, and of course he finally does it in this, amazing sometimes the one take where they move through this this scene yeah. parkour, and it's just parkour it's just parkour um and of course like you know like there's all the celebrations and the drinking going on in the background that leads with him taking this massive swig of this huge bottle of uh, I think champagne and yeah it looks like champagne um, it, it definitely feels like this weird euphoric ending to this kind of um, cautionary tale mm-hmm. um where it's like did these guys really learn their lesson is this going to like although that it looks like he's in the clear with his with his wife is this going to become a consistent problem in their lives is Hmm. because it 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 really shows that the the euphoria and, and addiction go hand in hand with um you know alcoholic indulgence and um i think that there's enough in there but there's also a it's sort of such a a moment out of time experience that Mm. comes only when you do drink and you kind of embrace the chaos of the night. And they show that um, throughout the film with, with the teenagers at the start of the film doing the lake race and, you know, going on the the public transport and being hooligans and stuff. What they're doing there is they're showing these, uh, they're showing the perspective of, of people that are sober on that transport looking at them, but then also right. showing the euphoria that they're kind of having from being incredibly intoxicated and just generally being kind of hooligans and yeah. stuff. And that's that's a perfect amalgamation of a night out of drinking, really, is well, there are people seeing you and thinking you're a mess and a monster <laughs> and then being in the...
1: But if you're in the circle... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because that sort of perfectly ties into this story I quickly wanted to tell about the production of this film, um, I wanted to open with this I just completely forgot um, so the film's actually based on a play by Vincent Berg he
0: mm-hmm.
1: who, who wrote it I guess years earlier and it was actually his daughter Ida that convinced him to make a film about it and to cast her as mm-hmm. Matt Mickelson's daughter now she actually passed away in a car accident four days into shooting the film oh, so they had to you know do some reworking of the script and I think um, Tobias Lindholm uh, served as a director for about uh, a week I think during that time mm. uh, that that happened uh, so she does get a thing at the end like in memory of I think I mean we joke oh who's Ida but that's who Ida is but uh, what the script ended up turning into because originally it was about uh, let me find it here it was about a celebration of alcohol on the thesis of the world history and what would the world be without alcohol because of that event it turned into what vindenberg s- describes as an awakening to life and i think the ending perfectly represents that where it's it's more about it's not just the drinking but it is about being in the moment mm-hmm. and being you know alive and and what a life the sun yeah it all and permanents. i
0: think it, it comes up to like they do have very enjoyable moments in times where the other aspects of their life are falling apart and it's kind of mm. finding that balance that uh that internal balance that you have in your life to yeah. manage all the external factors you 're managing you know you, i don 't think this film is anti alcohol nor no, is it nor is it propaganda for it. Mm. I think it walks a perfect line of balance that you know, that they have some of their best moments in recent years because they're intoxicated and in the experiences yeah. they're having. They've, but they also improved. have worse as well. Yeah, it's yeah. improved aspects of their life. But then, yeah, it's also led to the death of one of their friends and also led to multiple parts of their personal lives falling apart also. Yeah.
1: It's it's a very good film.
0: They have very good camaraderie, <laughs> though. Like, the fact that they stick Bare, with each other their the relationship whole way awesome. through is and there's no there is literally no falling out between all four friends. That's one of the few times a uh, few subversions I think this film does have. Interesting. Okay. That there really wasn't a fallout in the friendship group.
1: Their friendship group is so well tight cuz you know like you said the moment mm. when they're having dinner but they they drop the conversation to make sure that um I keep forgetting his name that Martin is okay, you know, yeah. like oh like you know you can talk to us what's going on. The scene when Martin is looking after Tommy, he's had that event at the school Mm. where he walks in drunk, and he stays at his house and looks after him, and like those are examples of like a great friendship group Mm. that I'm glad was right represented. It's a great representation of male interconnected friendships.
0: Yeah, Um, and the fact that none of them have like an internal fallout throughout the film, I think Mm. that is definitely. I'm glad that they kept that strong. Um, Yeah, so what around is currently out in Luna Cinemas. What a
1: round. You got the sum mixed up with the title. Sorry, another round. What a a round. What a round. We should make that sum. That should be the name of the Australian version.
0: There you go. Oh, no. (laughs) Be out in 10 years. Another round is currently out in Lunar Cinemas near you. Speaking of Lunar Cinemas, Jake, what is new in cinemas and streaming platforms this week?
1: It's a big week. I omitted something last week that I really should include. I'll I'll get to that in a minute so coming to netflix this week we have moxie which sees a shy teacher uh, jesus christ let me start again moxie <laughs> mm. sees a shy teenager inspired by her mum's rebellious past publish an anonymous z- zine zing z, z- i n e uh calling out sexism at her school i'm gonna call it a vine an anonymous vine calling out sexism at her school uh, that was a mess on stand this week little gems from the past year including Deerskin and one of our favourite films Zeke, Shirley there you go that's coming to stand that was our 78th episode of the podcast check it out coming to Disney plus this week is Raya and the Last Dragon uh, which is released through Premiere Access so much like Mulan if you pay the 35 bucks up rent, you can watch this film this week I would suggest you don't do that just wait until it comes for free but if you are keen it does see a warrior in a reimagined earth Determined to find the last dragon. Uh, it also plays at Hoyts this week, so that might actually be way cheaper to just watch it on the big It would be screen. way cheaper to go it to Hoyts. It would be way cheaper, yeah. <laughs> um, so also coming to Disney+, Plus, this happened in the last week, and I didn't understand what Star was. So, Star is meant to be the content hub. So, you know, when you go on Disney+, Plus, it comes up Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, Pixar. It comes up with those little categories. Yeah. This is a new category they added, which is meant to be for more like adult content. Okay. It looks way more like just all of their Fox properties that they just own now and threw on there. Okay. So, and a list of examples or a list of some of the films and shows that are now on Disney because of this. Some of these I'm very excited for. Zach. Yeah. So, now you can watch Deadpool, Jojo Rabbit... The Kingsman films, Titanic, Life of Pi, Free Billboards, Shape of Water, There's Something About Mary, 500 Days of Summer, French Connection, Die Hard, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a bunch of Wes Anderson films, all of the Aliens films, Prison Break, X-Files, The Show 24, How I Met Your Mother, Futurama, which I'm so keen on, Bob's Burgers, and plenty more. How I Met
0: Your Mother, isn't that on Netflix right now?
1: I guess some of these are on Netflix, I'm about 500 Days of Summer and stuff, but... Jojo Rabbit was a big one. I was like, "Wow, okay, cool." And Futurama. You know how bloody keen I am that yeah. Futurama's is on Disney Plus now. Um, so there is a bunch of new stuff on Star that you can watch on Disney Plus. That is very exciting for those who already own the service. I just wanted to mention that. I finally, coming to cinemas, Land returns uh, on Thursday the fourth. Also, the film I mentioned a few weeks back that I thought was coming to stand, it actually comes to cinemas this week. I'm not lying. Is Chaos Walking, the one with Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. In a dystopian world where living creatures can hear each other's thoughts in a stream of images, words, and sounds, good noise. And Matt Mickelson is in this film too, actually. Fun fact.
0: So, there you go. There you go. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, <laughs> but Jake... <laughs> Shockingly. What are yeah. we watching?
1: Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Minari. David, look! They're wheels!
0: The wheels? Look at the
1: what a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand.
0: What a beautiful family. I'm glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He draws things good, doing things right. Yes.
1: I don't like grandma. grandma smells like Korea. <laughs> a Korean American family moves to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. Amidst the challenges of this new life in a strange and rugged Ozarks, they discover the undeniable resilience of family and what really makes a home. Zeke, this will be the third film, foreign film in a row that we've done in the show. Biggest streak. Biggest streak ever.
0: Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to this film. Um, got a lot of buzz. Um probably be talking a lot about it this awards season. We've already talked about it a little bit.
2: Yeah.
1: There's a good yeah. chance that it'll be the Oscar oh sorry, the Golden Globe winner. There you go. By the time we talk about it next week. So it'll
0: be interesting to discuss potentially that winner next week on the show. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Star Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Manari.